Um, we're glad that you're here today. If you're disappointed, you did not get an egg. He, it had a rock in it. That's the kind of person Scott is. Just kind of mean-spirited about this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, I'm so disappointed about the pie-throwing contest. Uh, I'm really disappointed. In fact, I'm not sure I can even teach this morning. I'm so dis- I'm not really disappointed at all, actually. So, uh, anyways, so here's what we've been doing <clears throat> for the last few weeks. Does anybody want this, by the way? I may have been lying about the rock, unless the rock comes out. I hope I was going to say as I threw it. I hope it doesn't open up. <laughs> we're going to have a lawsuit on our hands. You got it. You got insurance. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, all right. So today we're wrapping up our series called "My Brother's Keeper," and we're going to be talking about the uh, one of the best known Bible verses in the entire world. Uh, the, the amazing thing about some of the scriptures that uh, are memorized, there's a lot of people that know John 3.16. And then if you're really spiritual, you actually know John 3.17. And uh, then, then there's some that, you know, the very famous uh, passage of Jesus wept. And you've marked that off your number of scriptures that has been uh, memorized. But the most well-known scripture in the entire world is one of Jesus's teachings where he says, judge not. Now it's amazing how many people who have disdain for the church have memorized this verse, judge not. Now we have some among our group here today that you are very keyed in to this topic. And we have others in here that you would not hurt a fly if it was anywhere around you. And so the idea of judging somebody else, it, it, it pains you. And so you have memorized this verse because it gets you off the hook when you see something that looks like it's going to go south, but you don't want to get involved because you know that could be painful and you just can't handle the possibility of hurting someone else. So I recognize we've got all kinds of people in the room. We've got all kinds of perspectives on the idea of judging others. Um, Let me just, here's how I want to start today. What I want to start with today is just, uh, you know, in this time, I don't know how many people I've talked to, pastors, uh, people here at Journey, our small group has really just been invaluable as far as uh, helping us to just kind of talk through some of these issues, how it's coming across. Um, but this is a topic churches just don't talk about. We just don't talk about it because it is a very touchy subject. People really get upset when you bring up the idea of judging other people. And so, so it's just easier not to talk about it or, or talk it, uh, what is more common under veiled passive aggressive tones rather than just coming right out and saying what's on their mind. And so we've just decided enough's enough. And it's time for us just to talk about this stuff out in the open. And let's just be very upfront and open about it. And, and you know, people will either accept it or not accept it. It doesn't change that what we're sharing is truth. But that does that is the way that, that humankind works. Even Paul eventually says, listen, hey, you can listen to what I'm saying or not. Eventually, you'll agree with me. <laughs> and so that's the kind of the, the place we're taking with this is, you know, we've worked hard to find out what does scripture really teach about this. And you can disagree if you want, but you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with scripture. 
And there's so many places in our society and culture within the church that this is the case because we can argue anything. And I am one that can argue anything. I may not win every argument, but I can certainly give it a a try. You know, anybody else in the room like that? Uh, Anybody want to attest to that about your significant other, that they can do that, right? Deidre would say that I can do that. And so we can certainly create an argument against this stuff. And what we have become very good at in our self-dominated culture is we can justify anything. And that very justification is killing the church. It's killing people in the church. And the church is continuing to lose influence in a world because we're scared to death to tell people what the real truth is. Now, the other side of that, and and we have been on this side as well, is we recognize there are a lot of mean-spirited Christians out there. There's a lot of just mean people out there. And they love to have some justification to tell other people how rotten they really are, right? And so they find it as their mission in life to let you know you're not that great. But if you keep trying, you might be as good as me. And that's kind of how the underlying message gets transferred out there. And so that's why we have this struggle. We have this tension and we have this, ah, man, let's just take the easy way out and let's just not even mess with this stuff. Let's just not talk about it. And maybe we won't hurt anybody's feelings. But I learned a long time ago, and I'm sure that a lot of you have learned as well, to truly love somebody does not mean that we turn a blind eye to what's going on in their lives for fear that we might hurt their feelings. When I really love somebody and I see they're about to make a a tremendous mistake, do I really show love by just keeping my mouth shut? Is that really love? You know, in our interpersonal relationships, some of us would not say that, but that's exactly how we act. But as a parent, do you show love to your kids by watching them make mistakes and you don't correct it for fear of hurting their feelings? Now, the truth is there are a lot of parents who do that. In fact, there are a lot of parents. One of the reasons that we have crisis in our nation and crisis in our world is not because of the systems in place. It's not the government. We talk about the government. It's not the government. We get upset with teachers and and school systems. And we get upset because our kids aren't turning out the way we want them to because we've given them the responsibility that's ours. And so instead of them coming alongside of us and helping... We've just said, here, take them, and now spit back a good kid. And when it doesn't happen, we look at them and we get mad. I can remember some of the meetings that Deidre had when she was a teacher, and uh, I just it would make my blood would boil. I mean, I was ready to go take out some parents. I, it would make me, my blood would boil. I've shared one of the, the lessons that, uh, that we learned and right before she finally got out of teaching, and thankfully she did because now what she's into is, is fantastic. But one of the last meetings she had that I just about lost it. I mean, I was about to get arrested. Was when a parent came in and chewed her out because she had given their son a zero on an assignment that he had copied. Now, I don't know what, you know, where they grew up, but where I grew up, if you copy somebody else's paper, you don't get full credit. Anybody else? Thank you. Now, why did that make me so mad? Because the parent was a school board member. And I about lost it. I about lost it. And so what we have done in this world is we have, a, we have continually decided, 
I will refuse to take responsibility, but I'm going to hold others responsible. And when we do that, we do not show love and we certainly do not demonstrate who Christ is. So what I've been doing, and last week I opened with a simple statement that said, if you're not serious about your faith, then you can tune me out. (laughs) You can totally tune me out because what we're talking about, this is not low-level stuff. This is not the the low-lying fruit. This is serious faith stuff that you have to be serious about your faith to truly embrace. Because there's a whole lot of people out there that they will refuse to say that what I'm about to show you is true. But that doesn't make it any less true. It just means that they're choosing to walk away from it. Now, here's the reality. Oh, thanks. Did you bring me something else in here? Oh, listen. Hey, man, you're my favorite. He brought me some candy. He's way better than Scott in here. He needs, you can learn a few things from All right. Thank you. Um, so what I want to do here is talk to you a little bit about, you know, what, why am I talking about this? How did I get to this place in life? When we started a journey, our goal was to be a place for people from outside the normal church bounds, right? Some of us came up in churches where if you grew up in the church, you knew how to dress, you knew how to talk, you knew how to be involved in the church, you were well accepted. If you did not, then you were on the outside. We saw time and time again where people we would really reach out to, they would come into the church And then all of a sudden, somebody would say something to them and they were gone. So we said, well, we need to do something different about this. And eventually, for lots of different reasons, God said, well, you need to start a church. But I will tell you that the last thing I ever wanted to do with my life was to stand up in front of a group of people and talk to them about judging others. That's the last thing I wanted for my life. It's not something that people pat you on the back and say, man, great job. Although a lot of you have done that. It's not the kind of thing that you get up and people go, man, that guy, he's a great pastor because he talks about that we need to judge each other. I mean, that doesn't happen. But I will tell you that the reason I'm here doing what I'm doing is simply because I began a journey with Christ that I said, I want this to be the most important thing in my life. So when I'm growing up, I grew up in the church. Some of you grew up in the church. Some of you did not grow up in the church. I grew up in the church watching and learning from both good and bad examples of Christians, right? In any church, that's the case. It's the case here. It's the case in any other church around the world. There are those that are really doing well. There are those that really need a little bit of work, right? Good examples, bad examples. What I found were in the good examples were lives that I wanted for myself. I found that of people that knew Christ and followed his teachings, they had this abundant life that Jesus talks about. I knew the verses. I didn't know Jesus. I knew a lot of scripture. I didn't know what it meant to know Jesus at the time. But I knew that you were supposed to have a good life if you knew Jesus. And I saw enough good examples of that that I said, that's what I want. I also had enough life experience to realize that left to my own devices, I would never get there. And so one thing I noticed about these folks that I would watch is they smiled more. I love to smile. I don't have a great smile, but I love to smile. I love the feeling that comes when a smile is there. They laughed more. I love to laugh. Laughing is a virtue in our family. We need to laugh in our family. In fact, we even have a thing on the wall that we put up 
that just says that as a family, one of the things we commit to is laughter. And I notice that people who follow Jesus laugh more. Some of the crazy thing are the people that follow Jesus laughed at times that everyone else was crying and they could still laugh. That made a big impact on me. I noticed that there was a different way that people responded to them. They would go out of their way to help others and they formed such strong bonds and relationships because the people they would go out of their way for would reciprocate and go out of their way to help them. I thought that's real. That's a real relationship. And they really care about each other. They go out of their way for each other versus those who talk a talk but did not experience a life with Christ who never went out of their way for anybody except for themselves. They didn't have smiles on their faces. They didn't laugh. And they were always the one in the room that wanted to be the downer. You know what I'm saying? You know the downer? The Christian downer who comes in the room and wants to take your joy and stomp on it throw it around and and kick it out of your life and tell you that you really actually screwed up and Jesus doesn't love you anymore. You know, those kinds of friends. And I determined I didn't want that. So for a while I decided, well, I have some personal goals in life. My personal goals in life really had to do with my happiness and no one else's. It had to do with what I want to do with my life, the amount of money I wanted to make, what I would spend that money on. And I wanted to make sure I was taken care of. But I wanted this other too. And so I thought, well, maybe I can ride the line here, right? Maybe I can have the best of both worlds. Because, I, you know, I want to be here and go out of my way for you. But, you know, what? Well, I, I got needs too. And I want to take care of those too. And so I tried to, to kind of ride the line and do my thing. And so I, I was in high school at the time. And, and so I had my high school kind of thing going on. Then I had my church thing going on. And then I had a pretty big youth group. So they would at times kind of butt heads. When they would run into each other in the hallway. And I just found out that the things I had to do to fit in with the rest of the crowd at school, they left me feeling empty. They left me feeling never satisfied. They left me feeling like something was very wrong. And so I decided and I made a decision to say, you know what, Jesus, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I know I have completely screwed up what it looks like to follow you, but, but I want this. I want the real thing in knowing you. I see these people who really know you and my life is not what their life is. I don't care what it takes. I'm here and I want to be with you. And so that began a series of events that led to me standing here in front of you talking about judging others. One of the worst topics you can preach on in the history of preaching. Not because I like to talk about it, but because I made a decision a long time ago. Jesus, I just want to follow you, whatever that looks like. All right. Now, for those of you who have already judged me and you've said, well, Mark, we've seen you mess up. Well, you've not been paying attention because I've messed up a whole lot more than you've seen. And the truth is, whenever we have made the determination that the only way we'll listen to truth is when a perfect person speaks it, then we have condemned ourselves to never listen to truth ever in our lives. Because in the world when we talk about judging others, what the real tension here is the battle that's going on in the heavens, not the battle that's going on between people. And that is that the enemy wants the gospel crushed. And he will use us if we will let him do it. I don't want the gospel crushed. 
I also don't want people to come to church because church is cool. I want people to come to church because they want to experience Christ and show others what it's like to know Christ. Because that is real. Just going to church because you go to church isn't real. This whole topic of judging. See, there's so many facets that have been completely misconstrued, miscommunicated, and misapplied. Because the motive of what we are trying to accomplish is the key to understanding the difference between accountability and judgment. Even though we use that word in a couple of different ways. So that's where I'm coming from. What I want you to, to, to leave with in this series is not that this idea that I've got five people that I need to go tell them how bad their lives are, what they need to change. But I, what I want you to leave here recognizing is that God wants to do something amazing in you and he wants to use you to do something amazing in the lives of others. And if I'm about to go off the cliff, my amazing thing may be to walk up to me and say, Mark, you're about to go off the cliff. I don't want to see that happen. We need to change something. That's an amazing thing when done well. And the person that's serious about their faith and knowing Jesus embraces it. Doesn't feel good. They still may get defensive, but they embrace it because they know it leads to growth and health instead of something else. The life in Christ as we read about it is an abundant life. And if you're going to experience that, you've got to follow the teachings of Jesus. You have to follow the teachings of Jesus. All the teachings of Jesus. To say, I'm going to follow this group, I'm going to love God, and I'm going to love people, is one teaching of Jesus. But there's a whole lot more. And consequently, taken out of context, that's the easiest thing you'll ever do. And at the same time, you will never have truly loved God or love anybody else. But you'll feel good. You'll quote the scripture. Love God. I'm going to love people. That's what he said to do. That's just one of the teachings of Jesus. Some of the things we've talked about in this last few weeks is that we are accountable to Christ. But in truth, we often choose to walk away. And when we walk away, we struggle to hear what Christ would tell us. We've talked about a need for righteous judgment in the church. We've talked about righteous judgment is not this mean-spirited, hold a picket at a funeral. But it's gently and it's restorative. Now, there's a real difference when somebody comes up to me and they really are trying to offer accountability. But what, we, what I know that they're trying to do is just try to make me feel worse about this thing that I've done. Their real goal is punishment, right? They want to punish me. I'm a bad Christian. And since I'm a pastor, but they can really twist it and make it bad. And I can just feel bad about myself because that is the goal of punishing judgment is to make you feel bad. That is never what Jesus ever did anywhere to anyone except for those who stood in his face and said, we are going to lead people away from you. Then Jesus got a little angry. But for anyone else, we never see Jesus try to be punitive. He's always restorative. And this is the real difference in what the world views as judging not and what Jesus views as judging not. 
Is it punitive? Is it restorative? Now, I've been spending quite a bit of time telling you, you need to judge each other, and I need to judge you, and you need to judge me. I've spent quite a bit of time doing that, and I don't want to spend a whole lot more time doing that, although I've got a, a few things to still share with you. The fact is, Scripture does clearly say, judge not. How are we to understand judge not? How are we to embrace the idea of I'm not supposed to judge? How do we really fall into this teaching when we have so many places where Jesus says, judge? Paul says, judge. The apostles say, judge. We can't love each other if we don't judge each other. How do we reconcile these things when there's very clear teaching that says, judge not? See it all the time. I don't know if it's just because I've been more aware of it um, or, or, or what, but I have noticed lately in, in Facebook feeds more and more, and I don't know if it's because people, I don't know if it's targeting me. Of course, it's probably not, but I see these things. You should not judge me. I don't know how many times I've seen that since we did this series. Who are you, Jesus? Is how they usually go, right? Only Jesus can judge me. Well, Jesus is going to judge you, and he's going to judge me. That's a fact. But it's only a mature believer who says, I'm going to let others step into that role as well. And if you will stand at, on a rooftop and shout at your voice, no one can judge but Jesus, understand you are in stark contrast to the teachings of Jesus. You are not defending them. And as the church, this teaching is not an easy one because people are not going to pat us on the back for it. They're going to ridicule us for it. Yet we cannot be the church that Jesus has called us to be if we don't do it. But look around. Look around at the state of the church in the world. We've abandoned this role, righteous judgment, and look where we sit in shambles. Because this is where real, true, growing believers live. And we have way too many people sitting in churches who have no interest in growth. No interest at all in growth. Now, is it love for me to say that? That's not very loving, Mark. Is he talking to me, right? That's the first thing that people start thinking when they're sitting there. I do it. When I'm sitting there, somebody's up here teaching and they've got their microphone and they say that. I'm like, wait, is he talking to me? Is he, do I, am I really wanting to grow? I don't know. You know, we, we tend to kind of feel guilty sometimes. But we have so many people, and we've experienced this time and time again, who have no interest in growth. What they have an interest in is being validated. Let me be what I want to be. Let me do what I want to do. And just don't say anything bad about it because I'm happy about it. See, I did that as a child. But as an adult, I have to put that away, right? I still do it as an adult sometimes. But when I do, I need somebody to help me put it back away. It doesn't belong in my adult closet. It belongs in my childhood closet. Time to grow up. What I want for you, what Scott wants for you, what our staff want for you, what our mission from the beginning was for you, was not validation. But it was growth. Because what I found so long ago in my own walk is, I can pretend that this is real in my life, but it never will be until I'm all in. And that's where the beauty of it is. And I can tell you that there has never been a time since then that I have said, Jesus, I just wish I hadn't done this. 
Now, there have been certainly things in my life I wish I hadn't experienced, decisions I wish I hadn't made, hardships I wish I hadn't gone through, stances I wish I didn't have to take because it was very painful to take. There are many of those that I wish I, I didn't have to do. But you know what? Jesus, when he stood in the garden about to be tortured and crucified, said, if you can take this cup from me, take it. This is, this is too much. But if this is my cup to drink, I will drink it and I will go through with it. See, when you experience what the real life is with Jesus, that cup, though bitter, is worth being able to walk with him because it's real. It, it, it supersedes anything else in this world. It supersedes all the things I'm trying to get for myself. Because knowing Jesus, that's the most important thing you will ever do with your life, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter how what your standard of living is. It doesn't matter what kind of paycheck you bring in. It doesn't matter about any of those things. The most important thing in life is to know Jesus. If you can get through your birth to your death and somewhere in there you can truly know Jesus, then you have lived a good life. But the world tells us that's not a good life. That's a bad life. It's a hard life. Not only do you not get to get all the things you want, you're supposed to give away like at least 10% of stuff. That's not good. And so people reject it because they want the most out of life. And the enemy is crafty and he's convinced many of us that to get the most out of life is to do that apart from the teachings of Jesus. But righteous judgment, righteous judgment says that we want to help each other experience this daily. If I'm walking away, I'm not going to be able to hear Jesus as well. I need you to help bring me back. We've seen that the purpose of judgment is not to punish, but to help each other. And we've seen that to fulfill Jesus' command to love one another means that when someone's about to go off the cliff, we're there helping them stay on the path. That's what the purpose of following Jesus is. One of the things that Stacy talked about, I just think she did such a great job. Scott's done such a great job in this series. I've asked you guys to pray for us and help us through this series. You've done such a fantastic job with that. One of the things that she said is that submission and humility are key to this restorative accountability. Submission is something the world says is bad. Jesus says is necessary. Submission and humility. If you have no submission and humility, you do not know Jesus. Bottom line. You cannot know Jesus without repentance. Repentance is built on submission and humility. And we have so many Christians that want to go around talking about how strong they are, how good they are, how they got everything covered. There's no submission nor humility. And yet it is crucial for this kind of relationship. Truth is that the submission is not just on the person that's receiving accountability, though. Submission is also necessary, and humility is necessary for the person giving it. How many times has someone come to you, and they've gotten in your face, and they've, they have been waiting? You know, you know they've, they have 
rehearse the conversation that's about to go down. They are going to savor every little piece of it. And they got to get in your face and tell you what you did wrong. There's no humility. There's no submission. There's no hurt or pain in bringing this to you. There's just joy at seeing you squirm. You pastors have a bad, bad habit of doing this. We get up and we have this big, you know, talk about how bad sin is. And we avoid all the sin in our own lives. But tell you how bad the sin is in your life. And people reject it outright. Then we have things that happen in the world where a, a large name pastor ends up doing something completely boneheaded. And ends up really hurting the cause of Christ. And people go, listen, he preached a sermon that we, you shouldn't be doing that. He didn't even believe it himself. So go do what you want. And while people won't say that, that's exactly how the world responds to it. See, he didn't even believe it. And he's like one of their biggest representatives. But we can be better than that. No matter how we embrace this idea of should we judge, should we not judge, what does it mean to judge others or to judge not, what we do know is this, bottom line, you and I, we will give an account. This is gospel 101. There's going to be a judgment. Every person on the planet is going to be judged. You will be judged. I will be judged. For those that end up in a leadership position, you will be judged all the more, Scripture says, because you're leading people in a direction. And if you are leading them in the wrong direction, God takes that very seriously. It's one of the teachings about false teachers. That's one of the wolves and sheep's clothing you know, passages. It's all of this. If you want to be a leader, then you got to do this. Now, some of you are thinking, well, heck, I don't have any kind of role, but yet you're still a leader in your circle of influence. And how we lead other people, it matters. Are we leading them to life in Christ or are we leading them to death by the enemy's plan? We all know we're going to give an account. Romans 14 says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Every one of us. But we start this off with, so why do you judge each other, right? Isn't that the whole crux of our confusion and frustration with this concept? We're going to unpack that in a minute. But we're all going to give an account. That's just the bottom line of the gospel. Now, here's where you and I struggle. Because when the world quotes its favorite verse, judge not, understand, they're not, they're, they're not understanding what they're asking. They're not asking you to not judge them. What they're asking you is to tolerate anything they ever want to do in life. So whenever you stand up and you say, God says this, hey, don't judge. Who are you to judge? Bible says you're not supposed to judge. The world knows that verse because what the world celebrates is tolerance. Tolerate me. Let me do whatever I want. Don't tell me I've done anything wrong. Don't tell me that my actions are going to lead to pain in others or pain in myself. Let me celebrate myself and do what I want. 
And so that they want is tolerance, except there's a few groups that cannot be tolerated, right? Christians cannot be tolerated. If we say God has said this is the standard, that is hate speech. So why is tolerance the goal and yet Christians do not get to be tolerated? It's because they want tolerance, but they will attack anyone who threatens their self-revolving model of the world. Christian stands up and threatens that self-revolving model of the world, they must be shut down. This isn't new. This is the reason that Jesus was killed. This is the reason that he was tortured and he was put on the cross was because he was threatening this self-centered view of the world and so they had to put him down because he did not tolerate them. And yet the world talks about tolerance. That's going to happen until Jesus returns. That's just the way that the world works. And you and I are living in a culture right now that is going to become more aggressive in trying to enforce this tolerance. See, people want to be tolerated. They don't want anybody saying anything. And the problem is that we brought this into the church and we've made the church a very dysfunctional system because even within the church, we just want people to turn the blind eye and say, you know what? Don't judge me. And so we have churches full of people that don't know what it looks like to really follow Jesus, but they talk about it every week. See, the world wants tolerance. Jesus says there is no tolerance. There's my standard. You have a period of time in which to determine, will you follow what I'm saying? Will you accept the gift that I'm giving? Or will you continue to just do your own thing? Regardless, there will be an accounting. There will be a judgment. One of the great discussions we had in our small group after the first week of this series was that there really is a difference between judgment of believers and judgment of people who are not believers. We will all be judged. The beautiful thing about knowing Jesus is Jesus has taken our punishment for our judgment. Yet for those that have never accepted Jesus, there's a whole other judgment waiting. And I really don't have a say in that. But there are some that believe that I should be saying something about that right now. I should be telling them how bad a person they are. You're going to hell. And I'm pretty excited about it because I don't like you. A lot of people, that's how they live their life. There is going to be an accounting. We're all, it's going to happen for all of us. So how do we understand judge not? I'm going to give you two prime examples of Scripture. I want to walk through what they mean. And then we're going to finish up um, early today, maybe. I say that. It happens. It's happened once ever. But um, two prime examples. John chapter 8. So some of you have already had these floating around in your mind. So let's just get them on out here and talk about them. John chapter 8, starting with verse 3. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees, bad dudes, right? Religious dudes, church people. <laughs> church people are the bad dudes in Scripture. Okay? So before we get all hot, you know, haughty-totty about how great we are, uh, the church people are the bad people. So you don't have to be. You can also be one of the great people, but scribes and Pharisees, rough dudes, right? When Jesus got angry, that's typically who he got angry with. Insiders. If we can use that language. Scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Okay? 
Let's do this. This is the way we, this is the way the world works. Go ahead. Whatever sin you know is active in your life, go ahead and put it in place of adultery. This is what we do. This is how we justify it. Go ahead, do it. Just whatever your sin is. I stole from work this week. Throw it in there. Okay, I, I was mad and I used language I shouldn't have used. Throw it in there. Okay, I intentionally hurt somebody else this week. I know I did it. I'm really not sorry. They deserved it. Throw that in there. All right, throw, this is what we do. This is how the church works. I know. I've been there. I've done it plenty of times myself. So put it in there. A woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. Everybody watching around, Jesus included. They said to him, Jesus, teacher. They didn't think he was a teacher. He thought he, they, he was a heretic trying to threaten their lifestyle. Well, this is how we do. We know how we're supposed to talk. Teacher. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. I just, I don't think they said it that way. But every time I read it, that's how I read it in my head. <laughs> do you ever read stuff like that? Teacher. This one has been caught in the act of adultery. <laughs> that's how I read it. I mean, it's not what it says, but that's how I think it happened. All right. It goes to their heart. <laughs> now, in the law of Moses, because they always are experts in the law when it pertains to somebody else, not so much themselves. Man, we got it down when I got to pick you apart. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. <laughs> You know, I totally how it went down. I wasn't there, but I know that's how it happened. So what do you say? Throwing a rock in the air. This, they said to test him. That's the narrator. <laughs> See, it's fun when you read scripture out of real eyes rather than just, you know, the way you've always read it. This, they said to test him. That they might have some charge to bring against him. Now, this is where the justification begins. This is where we've thrown our sin in here, and this is where we pick it up, and, man, we know this one. Uh, we, can, we can quote this one for the most part. Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up, and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I didn't see that one coming guys i don't know this was a good plan i mean we had this girl she did some bad stuff we got our rocks ready i mean we had them last night when we got together for our prayer meeting and uh i mean we were good to go but i really didn't expect that from him and once more he bent down a roll which i love by the way you know jesus doesn't get up there and go through five points about why he's right he just says it, and then he goes, gets, you know, gets out. What are you going to do with it? And when they heard it, they went away one by one, heads down, walking around, moping, wah, 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 dropping the rock. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Stop, stop. So read the next part. Rest, next part will mess up your whole justification process. Just stop here, okay? Jesus said not to judge. He's not here to condemn. I'm okay. It's all right to do this. But you got to stop there to be able to fully embrace this view of Jesus' teachings. Because if you read the next sentence, you're going to be messed up. Because this is where people say, Jesus, he tolerated. 
Jesus didn't judge. Jesus was okay with people doing whatever they want. He just wanted them to come and know that he loved. And when the butterflies flew around his hair as he walked through the meadows. But that's not who Jesus was. And so he follows up with a very simple, simple thing. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. See, the purpose for Jesus in this time was not to say you should never point out the sins of others. The purpose was to say that we all, or you all, from Jesus' perspective, have sinned. No one has the place to punitively judge someone but me. Therefore, I'm choosing not to punitively judge you. No one else has the right to punitively judge you. Now go on, but that's not enough for you to continue on. Go and sin no more. Repent. Beginning of the gospel, Jesus, when he begins to share the gospel, remember it was nothing about love and grace. It was about the message is repentance because that is the beginning of receiving the grace. Submission, humility. Oh, and sin no more. See, that's what jacks up a lot of our thoughts about our tolerance within the church. You know what? Jesus said, you know what? Drop your rocks and you shouldn't, you know, do any of that stuff. Jesus said, go and sin no more, what Jesus said. But he said, I will not punitively judge you, though that day will come for her if she chooses to continue in her sin and to ignore the teachings of Jesus. That day will come, but that day is the Lord's day, not my day. It's not your day. It wasn't the Pharisees' day. Judge not me. It's not our place for us to come into these people's lives and say, you don't know Jesus, therefore you're going to hell. And you know what? I'm going to tell them to turn up the heat even hotter when you get there. Because that's how the world sees us when we judge. And if you judge that way, the love of Jesus isn't in us. See, we have to judge. But it does no good to have people willing to step into that uncomfortable place. I told you last week, the most difficult thing I ever do in my life is when I have to hold people accountable. I hate it. 99% of the time, whenever it happens because I'm a pastor, so now I'm contractually obligated to do it as well. 99% of the time, someone brings up a sin that either I've done or someone else has done. And so nothing should be said about this because they're sinners too. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Because what we want is to be tolerated. We don't want to grow. What Jesus wants is to grow. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him. And so this is one of the key things you need to understand between the judge and the judge not. The judge that we are to, we are to practice is gentle, is restorative, and it is full of submission and humility within the body. Thank you. But this punitive judgment, I want you to be punished. I want you to hurt. That, that is what we have practiced in the church. And the world is rejected and we are rejecting within the church. But we have allowed the confusion between the two to put us into a tailspin. So we won't say anything for fear of offending somebody. And we watch them go off the cliff. There went another one. 
And let me tell you, we will be judged for that. When we watch somebody go off a cliff, we will be judged for that. All right, let's go to example number two, because, you know, that's what we do. We've got another backup in case somebody messes up our theology in one. Matthew chapter 7 says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? We love this verse. It makes me feel so good when somebody says I've screwed up. Love this verse. Hey, man, you've got a plank in your eye. You've got a little speck in mine. We love this verse. Man, here's what I, I'm not trying to just be sarcastic and be mean and be, you know, belittling. I'm really not trying to do that. But I will tell you that there are a large number of people in the church that have completely screwed up Scripture for their own purposes, and it's messing everybody else up. And that's what I can't handle. It's when we take these things out of contest, on con, um, contest, context, there was the right word. So we take them out of context, we impose them on others, and what we end up doing is hurting the people around us because we are bent on being able to go off the cliff because it lets me do what I want to do. And yet what Jesus is saying is, listen, there's an abundant life waiting for you, but not if you're going to mix in the theology of the world with what I'm telling you. Just take what I'm telling you and it will be incredible. How can you say to your brother, let, let me take the speck of your, out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Verse 5 says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And this is what messes up the theology of this verse. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words... Don't judge them until you've dealt with your own stuff so you can help them. It is not that we never judge. It's do it in a way that's restorative. It's helpful. So if you've got junk in your own eye that you've got to mess with, then you, you've got to take care of that first. But don't let that stop you from helping others. Deal with it and then move on to help them. And consequently, again, one thing we talked about last week, when you've been through a horrendous period of your life with a lot of mistakes and they're really embarrassing and you wish you could take them back and you're thinking, I'm done, God could never use me, you are exactly the person who can help take the speck out of somebody else's eye. You have earned it by working through the log in your own. And if you feel that you're disqualified because of the sin in your life, listen, there's no greater qualification than overcoming the log in your own eye to help somebody who's got a speck in theirs. If I'm going to come over and help you with something I've never struggled with, yeah, let's figure this out. Um, So what we could do is, but you've been through it. You know what it takes to get through it. Hey, I'm going to, here we go. One, two, three, do these one, two, three, we're done. We're out of here. See, that is where the beauty of the restorative process of Jesus works. I've not been through it. I can't tell you, I've never never struggled with that sin. But, I mean, we'll figure something out. But you struggled with it, and you feel disqualified. You're not disqualified. You're the most qualified in the room to deal with this issue. And God's going to use you for that. The world says you should feel guilty for your sin. No, you should not feel guilty for your sin. You should feel thankful that Jesus has restored you. 
See, because God wants us to grow. He wants us to be restored. He wants us to go further. He wants us to be real and alive. And that's what it can be. Three truths. I'm going to wrap up. Three truths. Number one, God will judge those outside the church. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to happen. He's got it covered. He's more capable than we are. God's going to take care of the people outside of the church. Number two, because you're good number one. Number two, God will judge those inside the church. That's us. God's going to take care of that. God's got it covered. It's going to happen. No getting around it. It's going to happen. Okay, that's truth number two. Truth number three is this. God's instructed those inside the church to judge one another. He's never given that same instruction for outside the church. The only place that we're instructed to judge each other is inside the church. Okay? This is our crucial difference. So when the world is saying, judge not, judge not, judge not. I get so sick of hearing celebrities, judge not. We're just on our personal destructive path here. Let us do it. Leave us alone. They're actually not far off from what Jesus is really saying. Jesus is saying, don't judge them. They don't follow. They've not submitted themselves under my teachings. And so how are you going to use my teachings to judge them? If you're going to do that, then you're going to have to be judged yourself as someone who doesn't know my teachings. And isn't that ridiculous? Because you do know my teachings. So let's just not judge them. This is the true difference in what we have messed up in the church. Now, not all of us have messed this up. But places like Westboro Baptist Church has messed this up. Y'all know who that is, right? They have messed this up. Sometimes it's people who attend Journey Church mess this up too. Because it's easy to say, well, Westboro, man, they're bad. Because it's easier to turn a critical eye always on somebody else than to look at our own lives. What are we doing? So those three truths you can hang your hat on when it comes to judging. God's going to judge us outside the church. God's going to judge us inside the church. God's instructed us to judge each other only inside the church. We have no other instructions to judge others apart from that. So how we do this is crucial. Our hearts are crucial. So the Bible, we go back and forth on these things. We're kind of confused sometimes. I don't think there needs to be confusion. Bottom line for me, whenever you come to a confusing place in Scripture, Jesus is normally in the most simple conclusion is what I have found. Not always, but most of the time. Whatever the most simple conclusion is is usually the one where Jesus is at. He just tends to simplify things. We tend to make things too complicated. So for me, one of the answers that I have whenever things get confusing is just go back to the basics. I mean, that's what I do. I go back to the basics. God, I don't know what to do here. I'm going to go back to the basics. You know, God's the love of the world. That's a basic. The gospel is the basics. Always go back to the basics. And the basics are this. God wants us to know him. And he wants us to lead others to do the same. Pretty basic, right? When this stuff gets confusing, should we judge? Should we not judge? God wants us to know him. And he wants us to lead others to do the same. Okay? If we can embrace that, then the rest of the stuff will fall into place. Colossians. Uh, I, mean, I got something else I want to say. Uh, I got another note. I got to go through my notes or I get con- I confuse myself. When we start judging, <clears throat> excuse me, when we start with judging those that don't know Jesus, we miss the opportunity to share Jesus with them. You know how that feels. 
I don't have to expound on this. You know how this feels. When we lead with judgment, then whenever we may have the opportunity to share the gospel, we've already killed it because we haven't shown any love whatsoever. We've shown something that Jesus said we weren't supposed to do. And how are we going to accurately communicate the gospel then? Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. For those these are for the inside the church. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, because that's what we're trying to do. Get the word out there. Get the gospel out there. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. In other words, I've got a problem now. We want to get the gospel out of there. I'm stuck in prison. So pray for me, too, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then verse 5 is so rich in wisdom. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, those outside the church. Walk in wisdom. What's the main thing? To know God and to lead others to do the same. To walk in wisdom as you relate to people outside the church. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Be gracious and loving with those outside the church. Because what led me to know Christ was not the rule book. What led me to know Christ was seeing others who knew Christ, and I wanted that. And many of you wanted the exact same thing. That's where we share the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, one of my favorite verses of all time when it comes to my personal, free exercising my personal freedoms. I have become all things to all people by, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. You see, when we look at somebody who does not validate our beliefs, do we look at them with anger? Or do we look at them with I want us both to share in these blessings together. There's a very real difference. I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. I want you to have the life that I'm having. I want you to know this stuff. Let me give you three quick things to be done with. If I'm going to wrap up the whole series in three statements, this is how I'm going to do it. We love others so that they may know Christ. Period. People inside the church, outside the church, but outside the church. This is our go-to. This is where we need to live. This is how we respond to people, even though they don't believe what we believe. Validate what we what we think is crucial in life. And at times judge us because we don't tolerate the way they want us to. We love others so that they may know Christ. That's what the constant teaching of loving others is about. Love others so that they can know Christ. Because what God wants you to experience in knowing him is his love, not his judgment. Judgment is a reality. What God wants is you to experience his love. Number two, we love those that know Christ by helping them to walk in his teaching. Why? Because that is where true abundant life lives. The reason he's given us so many teachings is because he knows we're going to get messed up in this world. He can help us through it. The last thing, your heart and your motive will determine how well you are, your brother's keeper. If you have a heart to punish, you're never going to be effective. You're going to be hurtful. If you have a heart to heal, 
to restore, then there's an opportunity to help somebody stand a path towards abundant life. We are our brother's keepers, if you haven't figured this out. We're going to continue to be our brother's keepers. These are, this isn't optional. These are the teachings of Jesus that says this is how we live. But we don't have to do it in the way that some people have done it poorly in the past. We can start with us. We can love each other. We can help each other. It does require submission and humility on everybody's part. But when you know Jesus, that becomes easier because you find being submissive to him and his will, that's where real joy lies. That's where the smiles come from. That's where the laughter comes from. That's why I'm in this, to know him, not just to follow the rules. But I know his teachings lead me to know him more. And that's what, that's what you want when you become a mature and growing follower of Jesus. Let's be that together. Praise Father, God, I, there are so many ways that we have abused and messed this up. There are so many things that I, anyone could stand up right now and point out that I need to change in my life. Or I could point out in the lives of others. But God, I pray that as we struggle with all of these ideas, with all of these teachings, with undoing some of the damage of poor theology in the past, God, that we can move forward in a, in a way that leads others to gently know you more. God, I pray that you would help us all in this room not to use and manipulate these passages the way that we tend to do and to throw our sins in and say, you know what, you're not going to condemn us, so they're okay. Help us, help us first to hold ourselves accountable according to your ways. God, I pray that you would do that supernatural gift, give that supernatural gift that when we walked away and your voice becomes more and more distant, someone comes to us to to help us, to restore us, and to show us an error in our path, that we would give us that supernatural ability to, to submit and to see wisdom. God, I pray that as we go out into this world and as at times we do become angry at the ways that people treat each other and they treat us and the way that they abuse your word while we may feel angry give us that supernatural ability to love and not judge god let us keep the main things the main things in our life most important thing is for us is to know you to lead others to do the same let us do that that's all this in jesus name amen